Welcome to The Director's Take, a podcast where we explore how you go from directing something with your mates to being the most senior decision maker on a film set. I'm Marcus Thomas. And I'm Oz Arshad, and we are both writer directors at the beginning of our TV and feature film directing journeys. The pathway doesn't exist, so we are going to do our best to help you bridge the gap. Welcome to what is now take five of this intro to the podcast. I'm really excited because we're going to share the short films that Marcus and I love and the short films that we always go back to and we still continue to study to this day. They're part of our learning and our evolution as eyes. So it's really a cool list. And um, it wasn't like we were like, oh, let's put this on, let's put on. We literally just went through one day on zoom and just started typing them on there we were like yep that's good yep that's good but it was nice to compile it as a list and we're going to share that list probably as a thread on x and then probably um in the show notes it'll be as well so do take the time out and watch these shorts but of course there's loads of other shorts that are good that we just didn't put on but this is at this moment in time what came to mind and what we decided to include in it uh this week has been a well the weather's dropped on it and everybody seemed to be catching like colds and stuff both me and marcus uh i'm not excluded from that um, and I think Marcus actually has been doing some, I think he's been doing a bit of teaching actually this week, if I'm right. Uh, and if he hasn't, he was, he, he's, he's going to be doing it. Um, he's also done his trailer for Space Plug, the film that he did with the Disney NFTS initiative. And um, I saw the trailer and it was really, really good. I would want to watch it based on that. Um, so I'm sure he's going to be sharing that with you at some point. He might have actually said that last week, but because my mind is in a bit of a mush, I'm telling you by now. Or he might have sent it to me now. My film opening up has finally been online. I don't mean it's online. I'm on about like in the post production. It's been online and it's finished. So yeah, we've managed to win some money to put it through a festival run. So I'm really pleased that it's finished, and I'm really pleased it started this festival run, and it's already been rejected. Uh, but that's all good. You know, that's just part and parcel of it. Rejection is, is not a reflection of your talent. I'm quite pleased with it. I, I you know I really tried to think about every shot. So I hope that you all enjoy it when you see it. What else? Crypto's doing well in it. When we were on Alpha the Dragon, he kind of got me onto it. And I don't know who was feeding him with information. So we both ended up putting quite a bit of money down on fucking crypto. And then it just fucking crashed for ages. It's kind of nice to see it go back up. As a disclaimer, do not invest in crypto without proper advice. So back to today's episode. I really hope you enjoy it. I hope you have a fun time working your way through the list because it is a good list. Welcome. How's it going? All good. All good. Yeah. Been a minute. We've not sat down in a room and spoke in in the context and capacity of a podcast. We've not. So we've yeah, we thought we'd just do it with me and you this week because it's been a little while. We've had too many guests. It's a bit exhausting, really, isn't it? I know. Ozzy's burnt out. He's uh, got his head in his hands. <laughs> yeah, I have. But I'm going to have enough energy for this because this is going to be a fun one because we're going to go through some shorts, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we was thinking, what can we do on our own which is going to be worthwhile? And we're both, I'd say, strong short filmmakers at this point. We've kind of, It's what we've been doing. It's how we've been building up and it's seen as the root of what you need to be doing um, to break in is you need to be making shorts which sell what you can do 
how you do it, what your taste is, what your tone of your work is, so that that execs and the people with the money can kind of see what they'd be buying if you were to make a, a long form project with them, basically, right? And short films like we've had, going back to the episode that we had with Ron Monday, and he was talking about how he likes to watch short films as their own piece, just as their own thing. Actually, since that, I, I do now watch short films just for the enjoyment of it and not to look at or analyse the filmmaking in it all, not always. Uh, and I find that I enjoy them a lot more than I did before. Yeah, that was all really eye-opening, like those those conversations. Um, I think it was uh, Philip Ilson as well. He was talking about yes. the, the experimental aspect of things like that programmers seem to like um, at, at film festivals, which was quite eye-opening to to me because I hadn't really uh, thought about that as a as a thing the experimental aspect and and playing with the form of short films in a in a more overt way because um, I think we all get into filmmaking because we watch feature films and it's hard to sustain an experimental edge for a feature film so we when we're kind of making our shorts we're doing like mini versions of features sometimes but there's lots of differences between shorts and features so that's something we're going to look to to break down I think everybody at some point makes a mistake where they try and crowbar jam pack stuff things into a, a feature a feature concept into a short yeah and it's just brimming at the lid and it and it can become incoherent for what it is yeah and it falls down because there's never enough time and no. i'm not i'm not like with with my own writing and stuff and with my own ideas I, it's not that it's a terrible thing to sometimes like write a bigger idea but it's as you're going through the process it's then about like what's the most what what part of the idea which you've had or the treatment or the overview which you've created is like what's the latest you can arrive into it and the earliest you can leave or like what's the snippet yeah. of that story which you can pull from it and it's still gonna to work and land for an audience um within like 15 minute running time tops or shorter as we've been learning exactly um we'll break down the differences of, of shorts um and the ways you can approach them it's not a definitive guide yeah but within it we're gonna we're gonna highlight with the use of like all of the shorts which we have kind of consumed over the years which we think are great and a kind of different styles of of short filmmaking wicked let's do it wunderbar so the first one we've got is the concept short film is basically a short film which is built around a very singular concept and it uses its run running time to explore that for me personally there's a couple of my short films like uh, the retreat and space plug which would fall into this category and why they kind of do well via word of mouth or marketing purposes is that all you need is like an intriguing image in the press pack or still then the log line and the log line will do a lot to sell it so for the retreat it's a retreat which uses revenge as a form of therapy like that's a very simple concept and you kind of understand what the film is from that and same with space plug it's about what would happen if a baby human grows up in a blank white room in the middle of space like again it's like with an with an image it's intriguing and it's going to get people talking and you can understand what you're trying to do and it kind of speaks to the kind of filmmaker that you are um evolving into becoming um, the long-form filmmaker, I mean, where you are creating worlds, and obviously people obviously don't know your, your long-form work, but um, this kind of like serves that as well, 
which which to summarise is you using the short form medium as a playground for you to get things out of your head visually. Yeah, and I I think with the concept short, it shows a lot of creativity because a lot of the people that fund things and money people, I would say, like. I guess in terms of like, depending on who you want to attract, like there's lots of talented, talented execs who are creative and, and have great notes and stuff, but there's people up in studio land and things, they're not necessarily creative and no concepts which are kind of will land and resonate with an audience are then very, very, very attractive. And it shows a lot of creativity from the filmmaker and it shows potential that if there is a script which has an interesting concept or like a sci-fi edge or something like that, it might show that this filmmaker can explore a concept and execute it in an interesting way and then potentially make great work. So yeah, one of the shorts which we pulled out for a concept short, which is really interesting, is it's called Pitch Black Heist. And that's by John McLean. So why why this is interesting, it's it's a short film, it's about eleven minutes long. So it might have even won the BAFTA actually. But it was it's a very simple heist film. But why it's interesting is that it's as the title suggests, it's about a heist that is done in pitch black circumstances. So the whole thing is about like lean, leading up to that and kind of ha- having the characters sort of like being able to navigate a heist in pitch black. And why it's interesting is for, for several reasons. But I think production wise, it allows them to pull off a heist and execute it using only sound design. And so like if you're in an audience, um, you're literally just like they're doing all of the setup and the talking around what needs to happen ahead of time but then they can go to this location and the lights can be off and then your mind is doing all of the work so it can be like bigger and fancier and outside of this I don't think I've ever seen that ever being done and so then it's immediately intriguing like a heist film which takes place in the dark so as a concept it's very very cool and as a short it makes the most out of its limitations because I assume with the money they had, they wouldn't have had the ability to pull off a high-level heist and to shoot that with... It's got high-level cast in it, like Michael Fassbender's in it, like to shoot and execute a proper heist uh, film in a short scenario um, with all the production problems which that brings, that's very difficult. But if you do it in pitch black, then that's a sound design thing. Like you could technically do pickups and reshoots with sound design um and it just falls into the post situation rather than um trying to get michael fassbender in for half a day to fix something narratively um so yeah i think it's i think it's like a really really smart way of approaching it and um it's a really interesting film and i think off the back of that he john mclean got um he worked with michael fassbender again to do slow west Right. Uh, which landed at Sundance and won a big prize there. So it helps. It helps. It helps. Um, a heist film is very familiar. Everyone knows what that is or what it can be. But to add that twist on it then makes it more interesting. So let's move on to our next one, which is short films where they have a, a, a voiceover. And I guess it's first person perspective, right? It can be. Yeah, so yeah. It can be, yeah. So we've got a short film that uses voiceover to tell a story something you're told you shouldn't do which is a ridiculous notion because any film can you can, can overuse it uh, and it has its strengths and weaknesses and of course one of the most famous films that uh, empl- that, that employs this particular technique is Fight Club 
and also Goodfellas. Yeah, because you hear this a lot, don't you, with like with like the faux pas of what you should and shouldn't do when writing a script, and they say you should avoid voiceover. But that's nonsense. Like, why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what, what do you think about voiceover in films? I don't think there's any rules for anything. Like, you know, they say that, oh, you shouldn't start a short film with an alarm clock. Like, well, just be inventive with it then. Yeah, yeah. Like, why can't you start with an alarm clock? Where is the alarm clock? Is it going off in the ocean? Yeah, exactly. And then, like, yeah, exactly. what's an alarm clock doing in the ocean? Like, you can do anything. It's with anything. It's, it's if someone's using it without any sort of, like, originality and people are just using it and copying it from one place. Yeah. But that doesn't mean the actual, the actual thing itself is, is a trope. It's how, it, how the thing is used that becomes a trope. Exactly, yeah. It's all about how you, you're framing and subverting expectations because I guess with a voiceover, as you, you immediately said about it being first person, it's like, what if there's a voiceover and you you can align it or attribute that to what, whatever main character you've got, but then throughout the story, yeah. you might learn that the voiceover is coming from someone else who is going to be a victim of something. And then immediately it's it's interesting and it's coming from a different perspective who knows where that's going? Um, and it's just about subverting expectations or playing with an audience's expectations of what a trope is. So we, we've chosen two. You've got one and I've got one. So we'll, we'll talk about the getting on one first. Yeah, it's by a filmmaker called Ewan Stewart. And um, he is working as a first AD, but he's, he's actually a director. Um, and he made it before he got to the National Film and Television School. I, I believe it was his entry film. And it won a... a a Scottish BAFTA, a BAFTA Scotland Award. Yeah, when he, when he made it, and it was done for not very much money. But the whole thing is, it uses uh, voiceover throughout. The whole thing is just a narration of the main characters. You sort of like follow them on their journey. And it tells a story of sort of like impending grief and faith, and it's, it's slightly surreal as well. And it, it does it in a very sort of like fluent and fluid way of just like following a character um, and the visuals kind of marry up with that in that the visuals, like the way the shots are framed, they're all slightly abstract and it's black and white. It's only, it could only be done because you're not covering scenes in a conventional way because the voiceover is covering the story. It's a really, really interesting way of like watching a story which plays out over time and just fluently and fluidly moves through time in a very, very subjective way. So it's, I think it's a really interesting one to, to sit and watch. Um, and the one that I've included in this category is, uh, I think it won the best live action short in 2015, the Oscar, by Benjamin Cleary. It's called The Stutterer, which mm. has House of the Dragons, Matthew Needham in it. It's a really, really good film. And it, it, it uses the device of the, of the voiceover quite well, because obviously the spoilers throughout this, but the main character suffers from um, a really bad stutter which um, is debilitating for him to actually communicate. But what we get access to are his thoughts. So as he's navigating his life and navigating the world that he's in with this particular stutter that's, that, that stops him from communicating, mm. we get access to his thoughts and his kind of um, what he's thinking and how he thinks about everything. And this helps us understand why he is the way that he is and why he does what he does. I think it's a, I think it's a, 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 a rom-com. I think yeah. that's what the classification of it is. Yeah. Um, but it's a great use of the device because he can't communicate in the real world, but we're given access to his head. But that's where it's interesting that like that's, it has to play out for you with the use of voiceover. 
because it adds an yeah. extra layer to the story. It's not just something which is happening just for vanity reasons. It's like because yeah. you are in his head, you're seeing that he's a very fluent person. But what's coming out is in contrast to that. And that's where the struggle is. There's like a disconnect. And so it, then as an audience helps you understand that struggle even more rather than just seeing someone stuttering and struggling and fumbling through situations. And Stutter was actually one of the first short films that I really studied and connected with when I first started out on this journey of trying to do something as a director and being, or just as a filmmaker, doing narrative filmmaking. Yeah. Uh, and the Stutterer was a tremendous piece of work because he only made it for five grand mm. and it went and won an Oscar and he sofa served for so long and saved up. I think he went to L LFS. Mm. Um, originally, I don't think this is his L LFS film, but he, he only shot it for five grand and it just shows that, you know, you don't always need bells and whistles you always did mention this one as well which i, I found interesting yeah. it seems to like really resonate with you yeah yeah it did it was such simple storytelling um and which which goes back to everything that we talk about mm. you know you don't always need this you don't need this you don't need permission and he just thought i'm going to give myself permission and he saved up five grand mm. sofa served because he was saving his money he didn't want to pay rent and then made that film mm. he's just done um swan song sold it to apple tv with marshall ali in it mm. Mm. It's a great film as well. And so moving on, we've got a short film which works with the use of vignettes. And by vignettes, I mean like small chunks of story which can be related or unrelated. And they almost work together within a short space of time as an extended form of montage to create uh, a wider sense of meaning. Um, and so one of the, the first films we, we kind of put on here was Small Deaths by Lynn, Ram by Lynn Ramsey. He's obviously an incredible filmmaker. Has done um, like you were never really here with Joaquin Phoenix, and uh, we need to talk about Kevin uh, Morven Color and various others. Ratcatcher, and it's a film which covers a few different moments in. Um, I think it's in a young girl's life, and I think it's about the loss of innocence. So it's like small deaths. It's like these small moments which kind of create the adult, essentially, like the moments where their their boundaries have been broken. Um, when you tackle a story in this way and you, you have vignettes like this, it allows you to do more of the work because you're, as an audience, have been, your intelligence has been respected in that it's up to you to fill in, in the gaps and use your own intelligence and your own interpretation and your own life experience to, to make the film what you want it to be, essentially. I have seen it. I've just flicked through it just now. I have seen it because it's on her Ratcatcher DVDs extras. So if anybody's got the Ratcatcher Criterion Collection won it. All of Lynn Ramsey's films are on there, and Small Deaths is one of them that's on there. And I think round about that time, she did three films. Mm. Well, two that I know of: Small Deaths and Gasman. Mm. Uh, and they've got very similar tones. Um, there's also you, you. You put Festival of Slaps, which I've not seen yet. Yeah, but Abdul say He's been catching some heat of late, right? Yeah, it won the the Audience Award at uh, London Film Festival, and it felt like an interesting one to throw on. It's got a very unique sort of like visual language to it. Uh, it's got good energy, but it kind of plays out in a series of vignettes through time. And I think, again, this like you can't squeeze a feature story into a short film, but with the use of vignettes, you can fly through time and kind of be loose and create a meaning and make it feel like you've seen or experienced a bigger narrative um, in the audience's minds, like in the audience's minds, essentially. So, yeah, this does like a really cool job of doing that. I guess when we're kind of like referencing the concept short 
A Nigerian mother slaps her son so hard that his life flashes before his eyes. <laughs> so it's like, it's it's a very like simple concept. It's a funny logline, which you can then like share and it will throw up some level of intrigue. It then kind of opens up the vignettes to be used in a way which which can be fun and makes total sense conceptually. You're not just doing it for the sake of doing it. Like everyone has an idea or like knows the phrase, like your life flashing before your eyes. Um, so it's just a funny play on that. And um, yeah, it then opens up lots of possibilities and it's highly relatable. Like uh, the, the thought of like, um, African or parents of immigrants being extremely harsh with their with their kids because they they want the, what's best for them. It's a cool way of showing the of of showing that experience. One of the things that's important with vignettes is that the next vignette you show has to be meaningful to the previous bit of information you've already given the audience. So it has to build, and you have to be conscious of what story you're building up in the audience's mind as you do it. There's two more in this category that we've got. I chose this one, which is called Over, by Jon Threlfall. And um, again, this is one of those shorts where it falls into the vignette. But it's done a little bit different. Um, spoiler alert, so do watch it if you're not seeing it. But thematically, it's about refugees and people trying to come into the country and at what lengths. But it's done in such an incredible, like, clever and uh, a way, frankly, that I've never seen. It just does it through vignettes and it, and it kind of goes backwards. You start at the end of the day just observing how this tragic incident that's happened with this refugee how it kind of ends and everybody goes back to their life. But then it goes back every two hours. Every minute it goes back every two hours. It's not like the police cleaning up and they're just all leaving. Then it goes back and it's like the police are there. Then it goes even further back. As it goes on, you kind of realize that, wait a second, something's happened in this kind of suburban neighborhood. This particular refugee, you find out at the end, he's he hid inside the wheel arch of a plane. As it was flying over this particular area, he fell out and landed on someone's car in this neighborhood. It's told really, really well through this uh, mechanism of, of, of vignettes. Wow, that's dark. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I think the other the other short we've kind of thrown in here is uh, Charlotte Reagan's uh, Stand By. And it's it was only like six minutes long, which I think was nominated for a BAFTA. A lot of these are, like even, a lot of these are, Over was nominated for a BAFTA or won it. So a lot of these are. They they really seem to land. Um, and it's kind of why we're pulling, up, pulling them up as examples of of how to attack various sort of structures and narratives which kind of short films offer to you. Because when you get into features, it's it's slightly more difficult and there are different structures at play because there's more space. But yeah, with, with Charlotte Reagan's film Stand By, it, it only takes place over about five or six minutes and it shows the journey of um, two police officers um sort of like one coming in as a newbie and then kind of like moving on to to the next stage of the career like and showing how that relationship kind of plays out and grows and because it happens in very short and sharp and fast vignettes you get a sense of of like a, a long period of time maybe like a year maybe two or three years who knows um but you get a sense of all the time passing in such a short space of time and because of the nature of vignettes and how fast it moves through it it then almost creates a little bit of like an experimental edge to it um, in in the way it's cut or like you having to be visually interesting in the way you're attacking these transitions through time. So um, they do a really good job of that. And as you know, Charlotte Reagan recently won like the, the a big prize at Sundance with her latest feature film, uh, Scrapper. 
her, her debut, and I'm sure it's it's going to be one of the the names which which people will t- be talking about come award season. That's a really interesting one to check out, and it all takes place in a police car, so it's one location with just two actors and just various props and and little costume changes. So, in terms of a production, it's a very simple in theory it's quite a simple one to to have put together a big old span of time there's another thing you can do with shorts which is do something a bit more linear almost continuous right this is the condensing of time which is the opposite of vignettes which is just the one take where you take an audience from one period of time continuously with the character or characters um in real time to the end of the film so if the short is five minutes 10 minutes 15 minutes it's all done in one uh, whatever's unraveling for the main character, you are feeling that as the audience as well in real time. And there's so many uh, really good one-take shots. There's some pretty poor ones as well, but there's some really good one-take shots. We've started with Thunder Road by Jim Cummings. It's really, really good. And I think this kind of crosses over to proof of concept as well, right? It does a little bit, yeah, because um, it, it all takes place at a funeral as his mum is passing away and it's all about grief. Um, his mum has passed away, sorry. Um, and yeah, it, it's you basically watch one man's breakdown as he comes to terms with the gravity of the situation, and there's a bit more character going on. Um, so it's essentially a character study, um, but because it all takes place over one one take, one linear piece of time, you watch this guy break down in real time, and it's it's kind of everything. It, it's it's heartbreaking it's cringy it's painful it's funny it's really complex and you kind of feel for the character it feels bigger than the short and i think that's what the best short films do is that you get a very small space of time to to communicate something to the audience but you you give just enough that you get a sense of what has happened before it and you get a sense of what's going to happen after it so it, then in the audience's head it feels bigger than the runtime and that's more interesting than kind of serving someone a story which has a clear beginning and end and then you don't have to think about it again because you're like all right the character's fine (laughs) or the character's dead or the character's gonna go down a bad path like thunder road is brilliant because i think and also just jim cummings actually really i think if you can find out any information about him and listen to him what his interviews watch his interviews on podcasts or on on video uh youtube uh, you learn a lot from him. I, I definitely learned a lot from him. And when he did Thunderwood, he'd actually done two or three one-take shots before that. They definitely helped him work his uh, muscles to then pull this one off. Yeah, he's got like a, a proper indie spirit in that he, he also runs like shorts to features workshops and things. And he's all about just empowering people to just go and make your movie. That's what he's done. He's just gone and made stuff self-funded um, and is slowly building. And I'm sure he's going to reach a point where he will be getting enough um, he'll have enough of a following and his projects will speak enough for themselves that he won't need money from outside um, and he'll just be kind of like doing it himself uh, which is which is great and the feature as as well of Thunder Road is is really strong and it's covered in a similar way after that we kind of we've got here Mama by Andy Muschietti um, and it was produced with, uh, by his sister I believe and it's a two minute short film and um, it's Again, it kind of plays into like the concept thing is the familiar thing is mum is coming home, has, has come home. Um, and it all plays out in one long take. Um, and uh, yeah, basically like a girl is like sleeping and 
her sister is kind of like backing into the room, visibly scared. And you think, what's going on? Why is she scared? And then she just says, like, something along the lines of, mum has come home. And it's like, why is that scary? So it's it's infinitely intriguing from that moment onwards. And um, yeah. yeah, it's, again, it's like two and a half minutes. The The link, which will, the links for all of these as well will be in the, in the show notes. But the link for this, uh, especially, it was, it was, um, it was picked up and seen by Guillermo del Toro, and uh, he kind of says it's one of um, the the best, if not the the best, or like the scariest short film he's ever seen. Um, and I wouldn't disagree because when I saw it, it was like it's it's properly sort of chilling and freaky. It's got a great monster in it, um, and it's a it's just a small slice of of a bigger story. You know, this is the other thing as well is to think about is that when you know, when you want to do a one take, you've got to think why. Now, you know, the thing that's that's uh, a common thread with all of the ones that we mentioned, and I'm sure with others, there's something that's happening to a character and the filmmaker has chosen this as the way to tell you that story by you being ringside. Mm. So Jim Cummings has a, has a breakdown live when he's in front of everybody at this uh, gathering for a funeral. It's about grief. Uh, Mama is about these... The, I think the sisters aren't there. Yeah, yeah. And 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 how they in real time see that their mum is not actually their mum. Mm. Uh, it, it's a brilliant. It's brilliant. And 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 you have to think about it. Is it appropriate for me to do a one take for this when you've got your director hat on? Because it's all a choice, and it has to heighten everything. So yeah, with with Mama, it's it's really just about the tension, like because you're seeing someone scared and then you want to know why they're scared. So you're just following them on their journey to then meet their mum. And the, the tension that that kind of provokes from the delay is, is really what makes it such a strong short. Also what happens when you play something off in one is you get a good sense of geography because you're having to like pan around or kind of use the, or use the characters to kind of show where the main characters are in relation to a threat or in relation to the world that they're in if you have that it then can heighten the tension of things because you with mama in particular you know exactly where the threat is you know how close they are to the threat because you're not cutting away to a different room or or anything like that so you know the danger which the main characters are in um and that's because of the the use of a single of a single shot We've also got another couple of examples and one is called like with a little patience by laszlo nemes and he he did um son of saul um and i think this short film is it's it's horrifying but in a different way you're kind of with someone um in a very very subjective framing throughout the whole film um which kind of mirrors son of saul a lot and yeah it takes place in a in a, i think someone working in a, in a in or near a concentration camp just in an office and it's sort of like the horror is around them, but because it plays off in such a subjective way, it's almost, it shows the disconnect which that person has with the horrors which are around them. Um, and that's just a very, very conscious choice of, of just having that unfurl in, in a single shot and in a very subjective way. It, it shows like almost like the blinkers which a, char- which a person needs to have to kind of stand by as, as sort of atrocities are happening around them and what that means for you as an observer. So that's a really, really interesting case study. Again, with most of the filmmakers we've highlighted with this work, you can go and see the features and see how similar this work is to, to their feature work or there's at least like you can see the same filmmaker in there. 
In saying that, actually, uh, you know, we, we're talking about choices to tell the story. There's a similar film um, that actually is a vignette film that we had further down, but I've just moved it into the vignette category called World of Glory by Roy Anderson. And it's, it's exactly the same concept as with The Little Patience. It's about somebody who is close to the Holocaust, who is a perpetrator, an enabler, and a supporter of, of the Holocaust. And it's about how what they're doing and the guilt and the dullness of their life because they're you know attached to such evilness how that erodes their soul over time through vignettes um and that worked better because that choice i mean uh, of filmmaking with it being vignettes worked better for that because you saw the character erode over a longer period of time and the way they kind of like try to process things that might not necessarily be as part of our disposition as humans. Whereas whereas with a little patience, it's, it's it stays with her over a single single incident or a single series of incident. Um but both films use different methods to, 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 to show the exact same atrocities. Yeah. Which will be an interesting case study for you guys to have a look at and how you can different ways in approaching similar topics. Um because all of these are choices which you can as a director or a writer can can make to best tell your story. Yeah, the last one we've got here is um, you were talking about um, Mama and with a little patience, and I guess Thunder Road to some degree are all subject subjective um, one shots. Yeah, where it's attached to a character. The one that we're going to talk about now, which is also one take, is called Incident by a Bank mm. by uh, Ruben Ostlund, and to me it, it's quite objective. And it's amazing because it's it's just deta it's detached from um, any character, but you're just observing what's going on in the bank from across the road, and it's it's pretty mad. Like it, it, it's very very different. I found it I found it so enjoyable. I've watched it many times now, but I found it very very um, enjoyable. Um, and that's a different way of doing a one shot. Yeah, you, you're more an observer. You, the audience is literally observing it. You're not you're not part of the story. Yeah. And Ruben Ostland is obviously uh, a big old Cannes darling now, uh, winning yeah. winning it constantly with Force Majeure, uh, Triangle of Sadness in the Square. Um, so he's, he's seen as one of the best European filmmakers making projects today, really. Yeah. Um, and to move on from that section, we've now got more traditional narrative shorts, but we've put in uh, like a note here, it's still authored voices. So... What we mean by that is it's kind of not necessarily a concept short. It's not necessarily, it's not, it's not about like the vignettes. It's, it plays out in, in a more traditional narrative style, but because of the filmmakers that are making them, it just, you get a sense of the filmmaker, the type of stories that they like to tell. Well, you can kind of see the types of stories and films that this, these people will go on to make ultimately. I guess we'll, I'll kick it off with one of my favorite filmmakers in shortland full stop and probably one of the reasons why i actually wanted to go to the national film television school is is a filmmaker called paul wright he he did a short film i've watched all of his short films one's called hikikomori um which i think he got into the film school with i'm not sure if it's online anywhere there's a film he did with film four called believe and it's about grief but the way in which he tells the story uh, about one man sort of like grieving the loss of someone yeah it's just amazing to watch and it has kind of little bit of 
uh, voiceover, which is motivated by the tape or like the memory almost like it, it has memories sort of like running throughout it um, throughout this linear narrative. And because of the almost like dreamlike state, which the character is going through, it opens it up to a little bit of surrealism and things, which is all very in keeping with the types of stories which Paul Wright is is kind of making. That he went on to make until the river until the river runs red, which was his graduation film, and I'm pretty sure that won the BAFTA when it when it came out. Um, I think in in 2010. So he's an exceptional filmmaker, and um, obviously I think 100% look at believe. I'd say like if you watch this and Thunder Road tackling very similar topics with very different methods of storytelling one in very like condensed time linear um almost uh in real time but this is sort of like slightly more floaty and dreamlike and very subjective and and heartbreaking as well actually i have watched it because you sent it to me and i really yeah, liked yeah. it yeah, yeah. um i'll, I'll sat you down and force you to watch it all <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, this this next film is, I think, for me, is one of the best shorts I've ever seen. It was one of the f- first ones I, th- I I watched back in seventeen when I was yeah seventeen when I when I went to the NFTS and it's called um, the Mass of Men by Gabriel um, Cochet um, and it's actually um, co-written by Rungan and Yone, who did I Am Not a Witch. Yeah, which if you haven't seen, everyone should watch. I think because I think when I'm Not a Witch came out. I think people saw it and was like, oh, it's an African film about African stuff. Why do I need to care? Social realism. It's actually a comedy and it's it's just fucking great. Um, and visually it's beautiful. And they're a very great writer and great director. But yeah, sorry. I felt like I needed to shout out I Am Not A Witch. But yeah, The Mass of Men, it's a, it's a brilliant film. It's just, um, what I like about it is how it, it gets across this idea about um, how desperate people can get when the system is against you. Yeah, you just don't know what's going on in people's heads. And it uses some great storytelling mechanisms to get it across, like the user perspective from the CCTV in it. And mm. uh, it starts like that, and then it gives you context as you go through it, so it kind of pays off later on. But it's a great film, man. Yeah, p- people should definitely, definitely go check that out, The Mass of Men. We've got links to all these short films. This is a sick list. We're going to have to sort of like shout about this. We created this list. This is like such a well curated list of like bangers. Like as we're putting this together, we're like, this is fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. I'm tempted to like just have to block a day out and watch through them all. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, the Mass of Men is really cool because it's a it's a thriller essentially, isn't it? Um, yeah. But it's basically only a thriller because they because of the editing. I'm not sure if it was in the script, but they they show a, they give you like a crumb of what's to come at the top of it and then it plays yeah. out and if you remove that from the beginning it's maybe not a thriller it's maybe a social realist piece which kind of descends um but this is yeah it it's turned into a thriller by that one moment being put at the top so um yeah it's very cool i think our list has has got a couple of nfts shorts on it but um, I didn't know that it was it was made there. It was from, it's from 2012. Is the massive men that segues nicely onto another NFTs short, which a lot of the imagery on it has, stay, has stayed with me and probably will stay with me forever. Is a film called Azar by uh, Miriam Raja. Mm. It's a really really brilliant film, and the reason some of the imagery was unique to me in this is because I just never seen that before. Mm. I just never seen that theme explored in this way visually, and I, and, I, and I really liked it, and there was a style to it. Um, and deliberate choices that Miriam made. Really exciting filmmaker. Yeah. So Miriam has gone on to direct 
uh, four episodes of the last season of Top Boy. She was the lead director and did an episode of season two of it as well, of the Netflix version of Top Boy. Again, it's like a narrative short. It just it just plays out in a very simple narrative. I say simple. You, If you've listened to our episode with Ian Seller, uh, which you definitely should listen to, uh, I think episode uh, 31 and 32, simplicity is the hardest thing to practice in your filmmaking. And this is very much just like narrative storytelling, like this scene happens, and so then this scene happens. And so because of that, this happens. And because of that, this happens. It all just like stacks plates to pay off in a in a very clear concise way in a very sort of measured way and the way some of the moments play out is is just like almost at a distance but then it makes it more chilling like there's just so many good choices that were made within it across the board narratively and just visually which which kind of makes it really really strong and the last three filmmakers of these films massive men by gabriel gochette miriam raja azar and paul white uh, until the river runs red were all taught by Ian and by Leslie Manning. Yeah, <laughs> well, maybe not Leslie Manning, but definitely Ian Seller. Yeah, um, I know Miriam was taught by Leslie, um, but yeah, it, it kind of shows as well, like the 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 core of the stories and the way it kind of plays out. And so the next one we've got here is Martin McDonough's Six Shooter, which I believe takes place with Brendan Gleeson on a train. Is that right? It's fucking sick. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it's really high budget. So someone will be like, well, do you know what I mean? Well, well, yeah. whatever. It's a really, really good film. He still had to sit and write it. Yeah, it's a brilliant film. Like, I believe that if he did that with cardboard boxes and not the train wreck, yeah. it'd still run. Yeah. And I think that's the key is that like, it's a traditional narrative in that it just plays out sequentially, like in a linear way, scene after scene after scene. But the way it's done, the way it's written, the way it's executed, the way it's performed is like that shows exactly the type of filmmaker that's then going to go on and do In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths. And Three Billboards. I think with things like this, yeah, exactly. And it's like with something like this, it's like, Martin McDonough can only make a Martin McDonough film. And with this, he made a Martin McDonough film. And it's not that there's a reference of Martin McDonough to be like, I want to make a film like Martin McDonough. He has literally sat there and be like, what do I like? What are the stories I want to tell? This is what seems to me, this is an interesting character. And this is an interesting setup. This is how we're going to run it. And he did it, executed it. And he's, go he's gone on to do whatever he's gone on to do. Brilliant. And the next one is a classic which is Wasp by Andrea Arnold. Which might have won the Oscar. I think it did, yeah. I think it did. And it's also got um, got great performances, and it's actually got Danny Dyer in it. Yeah, which is probably why it won the Oscar. Um, yeah, I don't definitely. remember him saying the word slag in it once, which showed a lot of range. No, I think he said twat. Okay, instead. okay. Yeah, so he has, he has that in his locker as well, um, and has yeah. done for a while. So he's... A strong, <laughs> strong talent. <laughs> I, I'm, t I'm taking the piss, but actually, um, in Henpocalypse, which uh, our friend Callie was in, <laughs> he Danny Dyer has has moments in that and scenes. He's fucking amazing. He's so good. Yeah, yeah he's, <laughs> like, he's so good. He plays himself and like a parody of himself. He's so funny. Um, he's, he's a very underrated actor. I think. I, I feel like he's gonna get in the next 20 years as he kind of ages and becomes bigger than like he basically becomes bigger than himself i think he's actually going to do bits and bobs or i hope he does anyway he is a he, he is a very good actor he is <laughs> he a is. very really good actor like, but but obviously it's not it's not danny dyer we're on about with this film it's andrea arnold yeah yeah yeah, yeah we digress um but yeah andrea arnold is is um 
an exceptional filmmaker. So uh, I think her debut was Red Road, her debut feature film, um, which is an incredible piece of work. Um, obviously, Fish Tank was was great, and uh, American Honey, one of Britain's finest social realist filmmakers. Um, and Wasp is like it's like twenty four, twenty five minutes long, and it's it's just a narrative. Again, it's just a narrative. It's it's about like working. It's a working class story. Um, and it just kind of shows a young mum sort of struggling and navigating life with with kids and not much. <laughs> um, but with it, it's so textural with with its choice of shot and the way. I think that's what I like about Andrea Arnold is like some. It's not just like covering the narrative. It's like the details of the world and sometimes like a hand or a finger kind of interacting with the world or someone is smelling something or like tasting something and you can really sort of that all comes across to kind of build the texture of 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 the world and make it believable and that's all in this short to me it 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 felt very different to whatever sort of like mainstream films were were coming out then because we was we were still in the in the blockbuster era of going and standing and looking at like you know tangible product tangible uh dvds to, to to take home yeah, and a lot of that filmmaking was locked off cameras and you know really smooth movements, whereas this was actually handheld, mm. and this predated Born Identity, and it was almost felt like a documentary. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's a it's a cracking piece of work. The reason that some of these are on this list is because these are from a DVD that I used to have called Cinema Sixteen. We spoke to. I think Rob Monday or Philip Ilsen about it, mm. um, and and when I first got into filmmaking, I just bought that DVD and just watched these and studied these. I, it's is important. I think it's helpful because a lot of the people we're talking about here have gone on to do the feature work, and so if you're watching this work and you deconstruct it and you look at their first features, you'll see how they've gotten to where they they were and and what it is about them. And usually, actually, it's just because they've leaned into whatever their taste is. That's that's usually what happens. They've done their own thing, and viewer, people have been like, "Oh yeah, we like that," um, and then they've gone on to make more like that. That's pretty much it. Um, and yeah, like Andrea Arnold here is like she shot it with Robbie Ryan, who's like a legendary British DP. Um, now is a legendary Brit, legendary British DP. Like he ended up shooting like the favorite, and he's done all of her, uh, well, most of her work as well. Um, and he's seen as like the master of handheld. He just will get in a bin and film something for her. Like it's one of those. This is his second entry on here because he shot Pitch Black as well. Pitch Black oh, did Heist. He? Pitch Black Heist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. One of Britain's finest. Um, yeah. Yeah. Shall we move on to the next? Yes. Yeah. Um, so carrying on from that. So we talked about the narrative shorts, which kind of, even though they might, they, uh, even though they're they're kind of like narratively slightly conventional and that they're just telling stories in a in a very sort of like scene by scene way, they're still authored. But this next, and and because they're authored, they're getting the attention and then they're going on to make their features. But with what can happen as well, um, is that there are people on that precipice of making long form work from from shortsland, and they might make a short to show that they want to make a feature. We've got four that we've chosen on this list. And the first one being Phil Barantini, who, if you're listening, Phil, or someone who knows Phil, uh, we want to get you on the podcast, mate. Boiling Point was an amazing 
short film um, and also was a one take. Mm. It just showed that you're in good hands. And a lot of this is about confidence as a filmmaker as well. Like, especially when you're doing authored stuff, like, are you, you know, the audience knowing that we're in safe hands here, we're with someone that's going to take us on this journey and it's going to be a really good entertaining ride. Mm. Uh, and Boiling Point certainly is that. And it all kind of takes place in a kitchen as shit is going wrong and someone's very stressed and you get a very clear sense of the characters and their lives outside of it to a point. It, it sells the world and it sells the situation and the stress of it. Phil then went on to make a feature of the same, uh, under the same name, yeah. uh, Boiling Point, and has now actually been turned into a TV show. It all comes from this short. So I'm not sure if he made this with the thought that he wanted to specifically turn Boiling Point into a feature, but it's so clear. It, it opened the doors and allowed him to develop it into that. The next one. I think you showed me this when we were on Dragon, um, <laughs> Brian and Charles, which is yeah. brilliant. It's so funny. It was just so good. Yeah, it's brilliant. We made it for like uh, 500 quid. So it stars David Earl, who is uh, ridiculously funny um, and basically plays the same character and everything. Uh, but yeah, it's written by uh, David Earl and Chris Hayward. And it's it's literally just about a dude who is very weird and lonely and lives up on a farm is a bit of a weird wacky inventor and he just decided to build his own robot out of shit he had in his uh <laughs> in his uh in his garage yeah. um and it's he's got like a washing machine for a body and stuff and it's super lo-fi and cheap um i'm pretty sure they made it for like 500 quid based on characters that they've done stand-up with um and yeah they 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 went up made it it's like mockumentary and they just shot it over a couple days for no money and used it as proof of concept to make a feature under the same name it's great and and, and the film is lovely as well i think we watched it together didn't we the feature yeah yeah yeah. oh no you watched it i, I think did we i can't remember i think you watched it you might have watched it twice because i remember you watched it where you went he came on stage i yeah i watched it at the bfi with a a q a afterwards with with actual brian and charles there which was amazing he came out in his uh hollow loop loop shirt and <laughs> what a fun it's a comedy as well, which is great. And it's really lovely and heartwarming, which I think the world needs more of. Yeah, we do need more of that. The next one isn't that. Um, the next <laughs> one is... Grim. Yeah, next one's grim as fuck. Um, but the next one is done by a filmmaker who had, who had and has skills in um, a particular discipline and then used those skills to merge into his... A short film um, and made it into a bigger thing than what it is and it's David F. Sandberg aka Pony Smasher and the film we're referring to is Lights Out yeah I think it came out and it did like 2 million views in like 24 hours it was a really short shot with him and his partner slash wife and they just made it together and he just used his blender skills and his animation skills and they created a cracking piece of work yeah, Great concept. it's really simple though, isn't it? It's it's kind of everything yeah. we talked about. It's like a concept short, um, but it's if you look at it, like I mean, the visual effects in it that it's minimal. It's so minimal. They're basically just like cut two shots together when the lights flick off and on and off. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's really well done and it's like really creepy and it plays on the anxieties which we all have um, about like fear of the dark and like when you wake up wake up in the middle of the night and you see like your your dressing gown on the back of the door and you might think it's a person for like five seconds. Um, it's basically that, but it, it caught Hollywood's imagination, didn't it? Yeah, set his career off. Yeah, so like he's obviously gone on and done uh, the Shazam series um, and he made a feature 
uh, he made a feature of this, and I'm pretty sure he's done some stuff for Blumhouse as did, well. I think he did. Did he do two Animal, Annabelle films? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I, he's he's done at least one of them. Yeah. Um, so he, he's kind of like in that horror universe as well. So it really kicked started his his career, and it was all from a little two to three minute short film, which he did in his own flat with just him and his girlfriend. Um, and it looks like it looks as simple as as that, like genuinely made just with the two of them. Like there's no real production design going on. It's just like white walls and brown doors, like very simple. Um, so yeah, it's something which with a bit of creativity, anyone can do. Um, yeah, but he did it and he's blowing up and it's, uh, yeah, it kind of gave a proof of concept for a, for a feature, which then set him on the path that he's on. Our last example, which is probably the best example of the proof of concept short, I think, um, is Whiplash. Damien Chazelle. He had the feature, the feature film for Whiplash. Couldn't get the money to make it for whatever reason. Don't know why. I think he took it to Sundance Labs or something like this. There's some sort of story in it, um, which I'm sure you can dig out online. He basically like lifted a single scene, which if you watch it, it's almost one to one uh, with what's in the actual feature film itself. Um, he lifted a single scene and um, made it, I think in like, I think it was either four days or three days. Um, and yeah, managed to get a, a star attached in, in J in JK Simmons and, um, yeah, just did it, just did it. And it won big prize at Sundance because it's actually incredible to watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Amazing. It's, it's, it's exactly the same. And he was really smart as well. Like he didn't just do the, he didn't just do the thing of trying to cram the whole story into that. He just took a scene. And so I think that's one of the strongest examples. And I think what's also a very good case study is to watch the scene, uh, well, watch the short and watch it against the scene in the film as well. Uh, there is, all, I'm pretty sure there's a side-by-side -side video which shows the key differences between the two because the lighting is completely different and it has like a, a darker, more sort of like almost horror in, inflected tone in the actual feature film. Whereas in the short, that's not there. Um, and there's definitely like... Um, there's so much out there about the difference between the two. Um, and I think when he got the money to do the feature off the back of this, um, he was like, great, I've got feature money now. I'm going to be able to shoot this the way I wanted to do it. But what there was, what they said was that, well, you know exactly what that scene is now. So you, you can, you need to shoot that in two days, not three. And, and then he had to just run and do it um, off of the same blueprint and just bang it out. Um, and it's one of the most, it's one of the be the best scenes in the entire film. It's it's incredible. So yeah, highly recommend. I think give it give a shout out as well to Trey Edward Schultz who did Creature back in two thousand fourteen, exact same way. Got it into I think he won, I think it was South by Southwest or something. He won some prize, and then a year later he did the feature of it. And then we just had a really quick mentioning of documentary shorts. Yeah, we thought we'd throw them in there. It's not fiction, but it's they're great. <laughs> and one is uh, called Black Sheep by Ed Perkins and I actually showed these back to back to my year two and year three uh, university classes a couple of weeks ago incredible piece of work normally, I, I, normally I'm a bit like weird about when I see like uh, fiction elements in documentaries because I'm like it takes me out but they did it so well in this it, it makes it more cinematic I think and it's I think part of it is is um because of the framing of the main interview kind of fitting within that that tone 
Um, whereas if it was like wider and shot in a more brightly lit space, Black Sheep wouldn't work in the same way. But it kind of gives it a, almost like a, a darker, scary, more intimate sort of like subjective tone, uh, which which makes it really, really strong piece of work. And, and Black Cop is, is, is also great um, by Cherish, by Dicker. And that's the other one, Black Cop, yeah, that was the other one. With all of these shorts, check the show notes. They're all going to be there. It's an amazing list of short films, like genuinely. Like I'm I'm actually amazed that we've put this together. <laughs> there's, there's, and there's also yeah. a few extra ones in there, like which we didn't get around to, like a short film by Ridley Scott, like uh, Linda Carmoon's uh, Nosebleed, who's gone on to do um, Horde, which is which is a super strong piece of work. Um, there's there's um, Thomas and Adepeju's uh, Appreciation, which we should give a shout out to, who we're going to have on the podcast or have already had on the podcast depending on when this comes out um so and yeah other other short filmmakers we shout out to musa alston clark as well for um killing boris johnson um yeah lots and lots and lots and lots of good work great case studies with in all of these there's so many different styles it's more just about the way you approach and what's best for your story what story do you want to tell um and how does that naturally come out and then yeah it's 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 thinking about the best way of telling that story, really. Um, but ultimately, it all comes down to what what is natural for you, um, and really leaning into your taste and and what you want to say and how you want to say it as a filmmaker. Awesome. I think that's it. Yeah. So that's the nugget yeah. of the week, isn't it? We we're not going to do a nugget of the week. Yeah, because the no. whole the whole episode is a nugget. There's there's links galore, so we don't need more. <laughs> you just need to go and, and watch all of these films. Well, that's it. That concludes the episode then. I think it does. So next week, we'll probably be joined by an exciting guest. Um, so follow socials to find out who we'll be having on. And if anyone does happen to be listening, get your questions in at the director's take at outlook.com. And we want you to tell us what you want to know about directing or the film industry at large. And we'll do our best to tell you. We want to share this as a resource for you. So do get your questions in and reach out to us on Instagram which is the Director's Take podcast, and also on Twitter, which is at Director's Take. And please leave us a review or follow us on Spotify or wherever you can follow us. Yeah, please share away. Like, keep the energy with the sharing. It really, really helps. Um, we're a new podcast, and we really, really need all of the help we can get. So, yeah, thank you for that. So I think that's it. So until next time, keep learning, keep failing, and keep the faith.